us. So we have uh, this morning a treat, and it is uh, a word this morning that's going to be brought by one of our global partners, um, Scott Sabin, who is uh, the CEO, the director of um, a global partners of our Plant with Purpose. I won't go into detail about Plant with Purpose because I got a sneak preview of some of his slides, and I know that he'll be speaking a bit about the work that they do. Um, so this morning, if you would welcome um, one of our global partners here, Scott Sabin, as he brings the word this morning. It is such a blessing to be with so many brothers and sisters and friends and familiar faces and uh, people I haven't had the opportunity to see in, in uh, at the very least, three or four years. So thank you so much for the chance to be back. Uh, I am going to share a little bit about how God changed my life uh, 30, more than 30 years ago. Uh, I was in graduate school. I'd grown up in the church. I actually grew up here in San Diego and grown up in the church. And I think it's oftentimes really easy to be a Christian in Southern California. I mean, my faith was probably stretched the most when I was praying for a parking place at the mall. <laughs> but uh, while I was in graduate school, I needed a foreign language. And so I spent a summer in Guatemala. And uh, it was a whole nother world. Uh, let's see if, this, if I can get this to work. I may need to ask your help with the slides. There we go. Um, it, you know, it was a, a magical place. Mist-covered volcanoes, picturesque Mayan villages, uh, cobblestone streets, the smell of copal incense as I walked to, street, walked to school in the morning, um, the sound of the marimba in the, the city square. But it was also really a place of brutality. There had been a horrible civil war going on for 30 years, from 1960 to, to 1996. I was there in 91, and uh, it had touched most of the country. Something like 60,000 people had been killed. Um, so it was a dark place. But what I discovered was, much as John says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness hasn't overcome it. God took that time and completely changed my worldview. I lived with a family and went to school during the day, six hours of one-on-one -on -one tutoring in Spanish, but every single weekend, somehow, somehow, I ended up with a, a different missionary or different um, aid group or somebody who was working for the kingdom. I had a chance to visit the city dump and it became obvious to me why when Jesus talks about hell, he uses the, the analogy of the dump outside of Jerusalem. As I watched little children fighting to be who would be first to, when a new trash truck would come to pick through what was in that trash truck. But what stuck with me was the people, both Guatemalans, Americans, Europeans, people who had dedicated themselves to serving in that environment, people who were, who were essentially had given up much to be there and be examples of God's love. I spent weeknights in Bible studies with people who were literally facing death threats, but were persevering for the gospel. I heard about a guy, uh, a pastor, Don Salomon, 
Hernandez, who has told me that he lived up in the highlands in the place where the war had been the most intense, and he would be what Jesus would be like if Jesus was walking the hills of, of Highland Guatemala. And so I got on a, a bus and um, rode for most of a day through a, on various forms of public transport to get to this really remote village, knocked on his door, and he and his wife invited me in. I have, to, I have to say that that evening I was feeling pretty cool. You know, I'd, I'd been traveling on my own through a war zone. They put me up in a, in a little outbuilding in their compound, and that night I heard all kinds of rattling and banging outside, and I was scared to death. And in the morning, they, nobody seemed to be phased by it when I got, came down to breakfast, or came in to breakfast, and uh, when I finally mentioned it, he said, oh, yeah, that cat got in a trash can. Well, God humbled me pretty quickly. <laughs> but over the days that I spent with him, it was just a day or two, um, I got a sense of his love and the expectation and joy with which he lived, seeing God and God's hand everywhere. And it was simple stuff. It was stuff that I might have seen too, but I would not have recognized God's hand there completely changed my perspective. It was, it was almost addicting, and my faith was transformed. I came back with the sense that I'd always heard about, you know, in, in those days, it was like Mother Teresa, and kind of assumed, well, she's alone. She's the only one. No, there's thousands of people living like that. They just don't all have the, the, the uh, publicity, and I want to be around people like that. And that's part of what led me to originally volunteer 31 years ago, 31 years ago, volunteer at Plant With Purpose. Um, and it was also part of what connected me to Mark Slomka's ministry and the ministry that uh, led to this church. Um, and it was shortly after that that I first heard the passage Isaiah 58. And uh, I'm going to share that with you. But it reminded me of the people that I'd met and the life I'd witnessed, and well as brought into relief for me some of what I felt had been missing previously in my experience in Southern California. So let, let, let me share it with you. Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what's right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions. They seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you haven't seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you've not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. You exploit your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and striking each other with wicked fists. You can't fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only bowing for bowing one's head like a reed or for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? And God contrasts what he's looking for. Is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen? to loosen the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry, 
and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You'll cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and he will strengthen your frame. You'll be like a well-watered garden like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and raise up age-old foundations. You'll be called repairer of broken dwellings and restorer or bro broken walls and restorer of streets with dwellings. Um, let's, let's look at that for a few minutes. There's three parts. It's a long passage, long passage, but there are three parts. The first part is I call failed fasting or or maybe earnestness foiled, and, and we'll talk about that. And then God describes what he's really looking for, and then verses 8, 9, 10, and 11, what, what God, the promise of God in return for that. So let's look at the first part. Like I say, earnestness foiled. The passage twice says, they seem eager. They seem eager. Now I've read a lot of commentary on this that they were it was that they were hypocritical or cynical or just performing for God. I'm not so sure that's the case. Were they hypocritical or insincere? The passage says, day after day they seek me out. It doesn't say they're pretending to seek me out. It says they seek me out. They're in rebellion, but they're not sure why. They don't understand why God is not responding. And I wonder if perhaps they were earnest. Perhaps they really were seeking out God, but they just didn't understand what God was looking for or were blind to what God was looking for. Perhaps they were earnest but blind. I wonder sometimes when we read it as if they were cynical or hypocritical or just going through the motions, if that's because it makes it easier for ourselves. I mean, after all, we really are here because we're seeking God. Right? I mean, none of us, none of us are here for social standing. None of us are here performatively, I don't think. We really are seeking God out. And they're following the law. In fact, they're even adding to it. We know at this time that this was the, the people returning from exile, and they had actually increased the number of fast days and the amount that they were fasting. They were seeking God out. Am, am I wandering around too much? All right. <laughs> And there's an interesting contrast. It's a little bit subtle, but there's an interesting contrast here. The people in the passage, by fasting, are voluntarily giving up food. They're choosing not to eat, while those around them are not eating because they don't have any choice. They're hungry via an involuntary fast. So what does God want? Well, we see that in the next page, or the next, uh, the next part of the passage. 
Um, and in it, God uses fasting as a metaphor. The fast that God wants is not abstaining from food, but sharing food to loosen the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke. So a lot about justice there, and also to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter. And that's reiterated again in 9 and 10. This, this, this seems different. It's certainly different than the mindset of the people who are trying to worship through their, through their fasting. God's saying what I, I want instead is, is you to respond to the needs of, of people around you. And, and at this point, I don't know, my temptation, maybe yours, I don't know, might be to say, well, this, this, is, this is one of those angry Old Testament prophets. And it's, it's, but it's, it's a theme that's carried throughout the Bible. Look at uh, Proverbs 29.7. The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. Or Micah 6.8. He's told you, O oh man, what's good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with God. Or Amos 5. I mean, you want to talk about angry. God speaking in Amos 5, I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs and the melody of your harps, and to the melody of your harps I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. All right. Christ, as he's initiating his own ministry, echoes Isaiah, Isaiah 61. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free. Now, I know that that has a spiritual meaning. We were blind. We now see. We have been oppressed by sin. We're now free. But I believe that it's echoed in what we do and how we treat the people around us, that Jesus was not just talking spiritually. He was talking physically. He is proclaiming freedom. And how is it, um, we see it again when somebody asks him, you know, what are the most important commands? To love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And the response, well, who's my neighbor? Neighbor, How does Jesus answer that? He gives him the parable of the Good Samaritan. Takes the most despised person in their society, makes him the hero, and says, Serve the person that you would not expect to serve. The person you would not expect to be serving serves the person, shows you the way. But that's the hard thing. Who is my neighbor is a great question to kind of stall us a little bit, to buy us some time, which is why I think that, 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 that the, the uh, um, teacher of the law um, said that to Jesus, buy, buy himself a little bit of time. Um, it's so much easier to fast. It's so much easier to, to, to do the easy stuff, to go through the motions. And I think we can be sincere in that and still miss this.
but it's important. Jesus, again, in Matthew 23, 23, says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Again, in their efforts, and again, again, I think that quite likely they were sincere in their efforts, they'd actually made the law more difficult, more intricate, while neglecting the more important thing, which isn't, it's not really hidden. Um, so why do we miss it? Why do we miss it? I, I honestly, I don't know. But it hasn't been, just been us. Obviously, the Israelites were missing it. That's why Isaiah felt, the, well, God speaking through Isaiah felt the need to, to say this. Um, the Israelites missed it. The Pharisees missed it. The teachers of the law missed it. And I think we miss it so often. So I guess maybe we can draw some comfort from the fact that we're not alone in, in, in missing this. I think a little bit about how things like pointing fingers and malicious talk have invaded our society. And that's a part of what we can avoid today. And the other thing that sticks out to me in here, and always has, is the, um, is the uh, phrase, spend yourself on behalf of the poor. You know, it's not just giving from our excess. There's a cost to that. I've been reflecting a little bit on that cost lately. We have partners around the world who are, literally have spent themselves on behalf of the poor, who've given a lot away in terms of health, in terms of, in terms of uh, cost to their family, and so forth. Um, and then, to echo the question, who are the poor? And I think one of the questions we get to, to maybe reflect on in our tables are, who are the poor in our community? Maybe the, the homeless that we drive by, the, the refugee, the widow and the orphan, People coming from Afghanistan, from Iraq, from Ukraine, from Honduras. People who've risked everything, who are coming here because it's their last and final hope. And they're coming to our doorstep. It's almost as if God has placed them there for us. Around the world. And, and, and by the way, I think Ron Sider, who recently passed away, pointed out that if he was to write, rewrite his book, um, Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger, boy, I'm reaching back. But anyway, um, very influential book from about 40 or 50 years ago. Um, today, he would retitle it, Rich Christians in an Age of Hungry Christians, because who are the hungry around the world? By and large, it's our brothers and sisters. And we have been placed in a place of extreme blessing. May not feel that way, but very few times in history have been people given so much power with our money, with our advocacy, with our voices, with, with our ability to influence any place in the world through whether it's social media or the internet or, or I mean, Goodness gracious, we've got, we've got work going on in, in Uganda and in Ukraine and, and all the places the Planet with Purpose is. We have opportunity 
that is, is, is virtually unprecedented. Um, and most importantly, with love, not fear, we can respond with love. And I'm afraid, I'm afraid this is, okay, as they speak about fear, I'm afraid that too often we're giving in to fear these days instead of being driven by love. You know, I, I think that one of the beautiful things about this church is this is an important part of your DNA. One of the things that, uh, like I say, first attracted me to Mark Slomka's ministry was his heart for other people and his heart for justice. And um, it's seen today in your work in Uganda, in your work for Ukraine. I know you've done a lot with Homes of Hope. I've been out of touch, so I don't know everything you've got going on, but I, I, I do know that there's, uh, in the past, uh, a lot of work in Iraq and in, um, in Israel and Lebanon, um, and Plant with Purpose. And yes, I am going to give you a little bit of an update on Plant with Purpose. Not that much, but, um, but that grew out of this call, I think, to make a difference, to, to feed the hungry. So um, I'm not sure. I don't think I'm controlling the slide. So if you go to the next one. Um, Plant with Purpose like I say, was actually originally founded out, out of Mount Soledad, and so we've got some real common roots, and uh, you all have been a partner of ours for, for many, many years. I've been working there. It'll be 30 years in January. I, it's, it's pretty hard to believe. Um, what you might know is that we plant a lot of trees. I think sometimes it, you know, it gets kind of pigeonholed as the tree planting ministry, um, an environmental ministry. But what you may not know is it was originally created to feed the hungry. And certainly my attraction, my involvement in it was to feed the hungry. It had nothing to do with trees. I've, I've, I've told this story before, but when I first got hired at Plant With Purpose, it was because of our, our work with, with the hungry. And my father rolled his eyes at me and he said, seriously, Planting trees for Jesus? That's what you're going to do with your life? <laughs> anyway, um, but it was to serve the poor who depended on their land for survival, who grew all of their own food, and the amount of food they ate and the quality of food they ate depended directly on their soil and their water. This is actually just a picture from uh, Eastern Congo where we work to give you a sense of some of the communities we work with. That's the home and the kitchen of an extended family. And then looking down, and the, this is looking down the hill toward Lake Tanganyika. Um, and there's all kinds of stories I could tell you about when this picture was taken, but that would take me way far afield. Um, some of my favorite stories, though. Uh, and so I'm going to resist. I'm going to resist. Uh, but uh, working with them, and in our case, part of spending ourselves on behalf of the poor meant using our minds as much as possible. And that meant learning from our mistakes, measuring our impact, um, rigorously measuring it, and facing up to when it didn't work. Because it, it often didn't. You know, I, I got into this thinking feeding the Feeding the hungry ought to be about the easiest thing you can do. And boy, was I wrong. There are a lot of ways to cause more harm than, than good. So it meant rigorously me measuring our impact 
and facing up to what worked and what didn't. So the, the approach we've taken, if you go to the next slide, is uh, a three-pronged approach to restore the land that people depend on, to help them uh, economically. And people say, well, why are those two things connected? You know, years ago, people would ask, so when you go to Haiti, are you teaching them not to cut down their trees? And the answer is no. Um, they knew. In fact, I would get very eloquent descriptions of why trees are important, why, why the, how the water cycle works, and why we need trees for the rain to infiltrate the soil. They didn't use those words, but, and people would describe that in great detail, and they would always end with the same thing. But if I don't cut down the trees for firewood or to sell, how am I gonna feed my kids? Economic empowerment and the restoration of the land were intimately connected. And then because all of this in the, in the, in the end and in the beginning is a spiritual problem and because we have always been motivated by Christ's love and spiritual renewal, sharing the gospel, and we have a, a, a curriculum that we teach around uh, care of God's creation, theology of work, the fact that work is a gift from God and that God has given each of us talents. And uh, that's where I could get onto my sidetrack on, on Congo, but I'm still resisting. Okay, um, and uh, reconciliation, which is an incredible thing. Um, to see communities that had been at war, literally at war with each other in Congo, starting to come together and starting to, starting to be reconciled. Um, and as we measure that, we have a, a bunch of different things we look at. Measures of poverty. Are, are um, girls able to go to high school? Is the floor of the house made of dirt? Is the roof made of thatch or of, or, or of tin? How far are people having to walk to get water? Or the one that has honestly been most meaningful to me is um, how often are they eating? So in that first slide, the community, that first slide, when we first started working there, the people, 15,000 people who lived in that area were eating on average 1.26 meals per day. Most of them had gone 24 hours in the, uh, this is why, I, okay, didn't, didn't shut down, came close. Um, most of them had gone 24 hours without eating sometime in the previous 30 days. After two years, that had gone from 1.26 meals per day to 1.9 meals per day. At the end of three years, we were up to 2.6 meals per day. Now, we have a control group that, that started out the same at about 1.2, 1.3. Now, with the impacts of drought and famine, they're eating 1.1 meal per day, which is horrific if you think about that. That means, that's on average, which means a lot of days they're eating, a lot of days they're eating nothing. Whereas those that we've been able to work with are eating 2.3 meals per day or twice as much. So thanks to your support, the people we're working with are eating twice as much as they would otherwise be able to eat. Um, I wanna talk a, a little bit, uh, and go to the next slide, about one of the people, this is Veronica, um, one of the people we work with in those communities, she's from, she's from uh, the, the Democratic Republic of the Congo. She says, before joining the group, we work with what we call purpose groups, which are, use a, a, little, a microfinance system called savings groups, which use uh, agricultural training that teaches regenerative agriculture, 
um, which is taught through a participatory technique called farmer field schools, and it uses this curriculum. Um, and so Veronica says, before joining the group, I was seen in our society as a cursed person, and I had no hope. You all know from your, your partnership with Jem in Uganda that oftentimes people with disabilities are seen as cursed. She said, I, I um, and, and this was because she'd gotten sick. She had not always been this way. Um, in fact, uh, once she'd lost her eye and once she'd become disabled, her husband left her, left her with her kids. She said, um, I thought many times of killing myself. But I didn't, because I remembered the word of God written in Psalm 9:18. But God will never forget the needy. The hope of the afflicted will never perish. From my small fish and vegetable business, my life has completely changed. I can still smile. I can take credit for my increased income. My children have returned to school, and I know my own value and human dignity, despite my infirmity. Veronica, and you can see her smile there, um, one of 400,000 people that we're working with now. And uh, one of the, the beautiful things about doing the measurement, doing the, doing the, uh, um, the rigorous testing, is knowing that her story isn't unique, but it's one of many that is repeated over and over again. It's, it's representative rather than an outlier, which gives me a, a lot of... Um, a lot of joy. Also, yes, we do plant trees. We just celebrated planting 50 million, our 50 millionth tree this, uh, this summer. Thank you. And, and thank you, because you all have had a big part in that. In fact, there are people here who've been involved with Plant With Purpose longer than 30 years, and you all have had a big part of that. So thank you. Well, I want to go back to Isaiah. Um, I don't think I have a slide for this, but I want to go back to, to Isaiah for a second because the third part of the passage is, um, is the fact that God doesn't leave us empty-handed. We spend ourselves on behalf of the poor, but that's not without God's respond, God responding with a promise. God says, then your light will shine forth, in verse 8, like the dawn, or in verse 10, will rise in the darkness. And that was, I think, when I think back to Guatemala and that pastor, Don Salomon, what made him so attractive. You could see the light. The light was shining forth. And it's a promise that, that I think God gives us. And I'll tell you what, in this tired and frightening point in time, what would it be like for our light to shine forth like the dawn? What would it be, for, be like for our light to rise in the darkness. God also says that uh, he'll bring healing and help that will be like a well-watered garden, that God will satisfy our needs and guide us and strengthen us. And I know, again, coming out of the pandemic and our churches, in many cases, have not all the way come back. I think about the last part. And I know this is specific. God was talking to the people who were returning to Jerusalem and were re rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. So I know that it's not necessarily to us. But still, 
God says, your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and raise up age-old foundations. You'll be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. And I think about what that might look like in our churches. In a way, I think it's a vision for the church. It's a vision of revival if we spend ourselves on behalf of the poor. Well, I want to end just by saying it's easy to hear this, I think, at least it has been for me, and to be overwhelmed. You know, either overwhelmed by the, the, what, we're, what we're in or overwhelmed by guilt. And I think that there's two, two places that we can fall. One is to think that we have to do everything that it's all up to us. And the other is to think we can do nothing. And I think those are two sides of the same coin. They're two sides of the fact that they don't recognize the role of Christ. We're not the Savior. We are not called to be the Savior. But we've been given an incredible privilege to work alongside the Savior, to participate in God's redemptive work in the world. And we're not called to, to everyone. We're called to do what we can. I still remember in Guatemala one night, we don't work in Guatemala, which is still weighs heavily on my heart, but I still remember that time 32 years ago and one night walking home, and I'd been out at an, an event, and I was walking home, and there was two little girls around eight begging on the side of the street. And as we gave them a little bit of money, we then spent some time reflecting what we've done for them is essentially nothing. I mean, what can we do? What can we do? We're called to do what we can. And that moment and that thought has been part of what I've poured into Plant With Purpose because that is where God has called me and that is where we can make a lasting difference. I may not have been able to change the lives of those two girls, but we've been, able to, we've been able to participate in changing the lives of people like Veronica. And y'all can do the same. Y'all are doing the same through your support of Plant With Purpose and through GEM and through so many other ministries. I, I want go to go to the, my last slide, if you would. I think that the analogy for us is a little bit like... Um, the role of the little boy in the feeding of the 5,000. Some of you probably heard me say this before, but I, I, I love this, this story um, because, you know, Jesus has been preaching to, to um, 5,000 people plus women and children, which means it's probably 15 or 20,000, a lot of people, and the disciples have a problem, and they say, you know, these people are hungry, Jesus, and, and Jesus puts it right back to them. You give them something to eat. I think we're in that place right now. You give them something to eat. And so, stepping out on faith, they looked and saw what was there, and, and, and the, the little boy who had five loaves and two fish. When I was in Sunday school and they used to teach this, it was always like, well, if you were that little boy, how would you feel? Um, you know, giving up your lunch. You've got your lunch, you give it up, now you're going hungry. I don't know, maybe that's what the little boy was thinking, but I think, at least what I can relate to a lot more, is more like a sense of inadequacy. It's like ridiculous. 
I'm going to stand up in front of 20,000 people and say, hey, look what I've got. You know, it's, it, it, his offering was absurd. And, but he gave it. He gave everything he had, and it became enough because of Christ's involvement. And sometimes I think that we don't give what we have because we're afraid that it's ridiculous. I fight that all the time. You know, what I have to share isn't worth sharing. Well, on faith, I share what I have. Jesus can, make, can work miracles. And to what end? Not to my glory. Nobody talks about how the little boy fed the 5,000. They talk about how Jesus fed the 5,000. Like I say, sometimes we hold back and we don't do anything because we think it's not enough. We can either do, we, it's not up to, all up to us, but what we have is important because it's the raw material for miracles. So I'm going to conclude and, and ask to, I guess, the con questions to consider. First is, what are your five loaves and two fish? What unique talents has God equipped you with er, to serve his kingdom? And then the other, um, should I give both? Just do that one, okay. Thank you all very much. Thanks for the opportunity to share.